Want the tools to help you conquer sticky situations in the work world and beyond? My guest, Tatiana Kolovu, has the answers. She is a senior lecturer of business communications at the Kelly School of Business. She is also an instructor at LinkedIn Learning, which is how I came across her most enriching lectures. Combine those with her newsletter, Stronger, which is also on LinkedIn, and you have the strategies to power up your work performance and enhance your life experience. And a special thanks to my patrons who make this podcast possible. If you enjoy listening, please subscribe and visit my website, barrykibrick.com, to become a supporter of this show. Now, enjoy. Tatiana, welcome to our podcast. It is a true joy and pleasure to have you here. I know my listeners are going to be very taken by what you have to say, and we're going to get into it in just a moment, but I want to say hello and welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Barry. It's such a pleasure. Well, this is one of the very unusual ways I've ever met a guest. I was glowing through my LinkedIn account just because someone mentioned me and I wanted to see who it was. And it wasn't you. But as I was scrolling through, I saw your newsletter called Stronger. Mm -hmm. And I said, what is this? And I tapped on it. And I must say, I got drawn in, watched the entire episode. And then when I I had to contact you and then I said, I need this entire class. I've got to share this information with my friends, my family, and my listeners. <laughs> this is all about starting a memorable, impromptu conversation, and we don't realize in our lives, in our business, how important that is. Mm-hmm. It's a skill, and you probably, hmm, I don't think you had to take a course to learn it, Barry, because you do that for a living, right? But there's yes, many but of us, yeah. But you know something? I still learn things by taking your courses because impromptu talking is still not actually this. Mm, impromptu mm, is when mm. uh, you, you meet that guy you got to talk to and you don't know how to say something, or that gal who's the CEO and you don't know how to approach mm-hmm. her. This Mm -hmm. is something that I really learned from. There's a commercial, a MasterCard commercial where Mary J. Blige walks into the elevator and this girl is talking to herself saying, I have all your albums. I know all your records. I know. And she doesn't utter a word to her. And Mary J. leaves the elevator and waves to her. And she thinks you can tell she's just crushed because she didn't say a word. So that course was creating a memorable conversation focused on you may want to, for I would say in the professional world, in, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the context of LinkedIn, we talk more about how do you level up? How do you become stronger as you operate in the workplace? And I remember once in a similar conversation, one of my uh, colleagues said to me, I was in the elevator with the dean of the business school at the time, and he doesn't even know who I am. And I said to her, that's shame on you you need to make sure that he knows your name and knows who you are. 
where there's so many faculty, but how are you going to make that happen? Go and introduce yourself or make a compliment about how he handled the faculty meeting or say thank you uh, for something that they gave to our department. So it's really up to us to, and the younger professionals are in their career, it's important that they can do that. But also for every, you know, I would say, adults that have had more life experience, there may be opportunities where you see your favorite actor or singer in the hotel lobby and, you know, you have to say something. So it's okay. But you <laughs> Take know, my course. <laughs> oh, oh, definitely. But you know, the, and, and that's so interesting. You mentioned that because we're the, the key comes in and it's this old Hollywood expression, you know, it's not uh, who it's not what, you know, it's who, you know, but oh, there's an addendum yeah. to it. And it goes, it's not who you know, it's who knows what you know. And yep. that is what this, your course teaches people is how do you break into that conversation? And you mentioned even me as being somewhat more natural at this, and there are mm -hmm. people that are, but you did say it is a skill and that we uh -huh. can train it, we can improve it. And mm -hmm. in quite a few cases, we can perfect it no matter what mm -hmm. level we're mm -hmm. at. And that's what your course does. It helps us perfect that impromptu moment so we can best take advantage of it in a way that benefits our career, our, I want to go as far mm -hmm. as our life. And I'll mm -hmm. take it one step mm -hmm. further. I think it helps society because mm -hmm. if you have a, a plan and a mission, you want to gain the best access you can. Sure. And, you know, in the course, Barry, if you heard, I said it's not applicable to every situation. You need to be attuned to other people. If someone is, you know, looking at their book or looking at their phone, you don't intrude in a way. If you find an in, if it's a person that's a complete stranger and you want to practice those skills, you make a comment about the context or you throw an open-ended question, but you need to be mindful that you're not intrusive in the work world and for people that are entering it, re-entering the work world that we're in now, truthfully, it's very important to figure out how to create those conversations because we may feel that uh, we've lost touch or we've lost the connection with people and we really need to need reconnect because it's really who you know and, and who knows what you know, as you said well, uh, yeah. earlier. You give us a little hint on how and when, like you said, you don't, if someone's on their phone, you say these three things. You mm -hmm. first have to read, and in that sense, read the room. Mm -hmm. Then you can comment, and you have to, after reading the room, comment in the appropriate manner. And then once that gets rolling, you make what you call the final engagement. Sure. Well, engagement, Barry, if I had watched every one of your episodes and saw you in the, I would say, the subway in a big city or saw you in an airport, I would not go up to you and go, oh, Barry Kibrick, I've seen all your shows. It would probably be more appropriate to smile and nod and say, you're one of my favorites. Or you make a comment if, it is a, if you make yourself available to that interaction. And that's where the read the room comes in. Um, the connection sometimes may be if it's a person who may not want to be interrupted that you can say, you know, it's a busy place here or you don't have to make a connection that directly relates to their stardom. If it's somebody who is uh, uh, 
you know, a famous person. But I, I relate this to the work world because we, I teach undergraduates and MBA students and they get onboarded and they end up sitting next to a chairman of the board and they don't, maybe, first of all, they don't know who it is and they don't know what to say. And that's, again, shame on them. They should fix that. Well, you know, at the same time, though, your lessons all are based upon the person being authentic. And sometimes when you're in these situations, you get what well, you, you, these are your words, a catering strategy, and you, mm-hmm. you don't want that. It must be authentic. And that mm-hmm. I, 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 my, my son, and who's my producer, director, and also uh, his own filmmaker, he is always working with me on that because it really is difficult. It sounds funny. You'd think that being authentic would be the most natural thing in the world, but true authenticity Mm -hmm. is really, it's difficult sometimes Mm -hmm. for me, for people, for every one of us. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You have to, back to what we said, it's a skill. We just finished watching the incredible life uh, event of the Olympics every four years or every five in this case, and you see athletes that have trained again and again and again, you have to be thinking that that's coming. You have to be on in a way. You have to be quick to tell your story when someone says, tell me a little bit about you. I'm flipping into another course, designing an authentic pitch. And again, I designed that because I saw too many students and too many professionals speaking like robots that did not sound authentic. Every one of us has an authentic story and an example or something in our background that makes us unique. And that's what we need to curate in order to be able to share. And it is very thinking on your feet, you know. If it's late and you're in an airport or back to the to the metro station and you may not have anything to say because it catches you off guard. But I truly believe the more you practice, the better at it you get. Now, one of the things you want people to practice is one of the big pitfalls, and that's freezing. And Mm. obviously, the more you can practice this, the less you will freeze when it happens. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. And it does happen, and you just have to pat yourself in the back for trying, I would say. It will happen. Sometimes you're tired, or you're not thinking straight, or you make a mistake, you mispronounce the person's name, and that throws you off, or you uh, maybe just get rejected in a way. Someone doesn't really want to talk to you. And I encourage people to keep going back and practicing with speaking. I teach public speaking, I teach business presentations, and I've seen a lot of uh, people that get up and freeze. It's a nerve wracking. It ranks second after dying, (laughs) which is your worst fear, dying and public speaking is second. I would say that if you practice enough, you will freeze less, but you do have to be ready for some discomfort. Growth comes from discomfort. (laughs) I can't say that enough. Oh, gosh. You know, that is. We, we talked about the working out and the yep, stuff that you do, right? It, it That's really discomfort. Is. Yes, it's, yes. It, it, it comes from discomfort. But you know what I find is that when you and you mentioned this in your course as well. So we, we shared this philosophy, which is why you're here, is that it's sort of the let me put it this way, mm-hmm. the discomfort you can almost make comfortable 
when you're aware that life is discomforting. It's it's sort of the Stoic philosophy of, of Marcus Aurelius, even mm-hmm. going back to mm-hmm. the ancients. And there's a truth to it because, you know, we we live in a very high anxiety time. And yet, if we can just become aware that that is what life is for everyone, we can almost have that more I don't want to say relaxed about anxiety, but in a weird sense, we could almost relax a little mm-hmm, bit mm-hmm. more about our anxiety. And you, in all of the different, and we'll get through them, the different course loads that you work with, that's part of all of it, isn't it? It's to relax with being uncomfortable. Yeah, find, finding comfort and discomfort. That's how we grow. If you think about it for you and I started talking about the strength training regimen that you do and how it was too long and too extensive time-wise. And you found that if you did it in shorter bouts, you still raised your heart rate, you still got to fatigue and you did shorter ones of those, you still saw the same results. If you don't push your muscle to grow in this way, it will just be the status quo. It, there's nothing wrong with staying comfortable most all of the time, but we don't gain any new skills or we don't grow in some way. And some of the speaking examples come from that too, but it applies, as you said, to everything we do in life. I, I'm doing a, a talk in a, in a conference in a couple of days where I talk specifically about the skill of asking. Asking is the same thing. We hate doing it. It's like taking bitter medicine because half the time we get told no. And especially Wait, half the time. Come on, let's be honest. Uh, uh, yeah, it's 95% of the exactly, time. We right? get told. Yeah, That's, exactly. Right. Yeah. I want, I want to even say you almost don't need to practice being told no. It's no, going to yeah. happen naturally. But research shows, you know, who doesn't tend to ask even more? It's women and young women because they want to be right. They raise their hand in class only if they have the answers. They will ask if it's okay to ask or they have been raised in this way. I've had many conversations and I do believe it creates discomfort. But if we don't stay a little bit in that discomfort zone, we're not going to grow. Nothing wrong with staying in the status quo, but if we want to learn more, if we want to gain new skills, and if we want to look back and say, I'm really glad that I did that, even though I was told to no, know, I, I tried, it's worth it. But I don't know if you will agree with me on this or not. This will be one of those challenging things, because I actually mm. have a chapter in my book mm. called Staying in Your Comfort Zone. Now, mm-hmm. what I mean by that is somewhat very similar. So I think it's just a little bit of a play on words, because the goal is Yes, do something you're not used to, mm-hmm. but do it as comfortably as you can. Mm-hmm. So, yes, you may be uncomfortable when you think, wow, I did that. But the mm-hmm. truth really is I was watching this with a with a, uh, my granddaughters learning how to walk. And mm-hmm. I didn't pay that much attention to my own children, but my grandchildren, I, I, I did. And you know what? They almost never take that next step until they know they've got something they could hold on to. So in in a Mm -hmm. sense, when you want us to get out of our comfort zone, you really do want us to be as comfortable as we can doing so. 
And that's part of training, right? That's part of where if you start at some level and you want to, as we say, raise your threshold, get better at approaching one person that you don't know or introducing yourself to people that you may not be comfortable doing that, you need to take that first step. And that's staying in your comfort zone, but allowing yourself to do that. I do want to say we are still in a difficult time, in a turbulent time as it relates to COVID, where we've all had some change in our lives. And I used to say, if you want to become stronger in your skills, keep pushing yourself and practice discomfort zone. But there is a point where you just say, look, it's too much. I want to take care of myself and just stay in that comfort analyze, be attuned to what my skills need to be moving into the next level, and then make a plan to move on. But we don't always need to be doing this. I, I'm, I'm very big on, on really staying connected to what feels right. I personally get bored if there's no challenge at some point. It's a challenge to look for a discomfort, but I'm not going to do something that makes me truly uncomfortable not jumping off of a plane. That's not going to happen. I don't care how old or what big birthday is coming up. That is not comfortable. So that that, that kind of, uh, of stuff. Now, one of the things we talk about and you teach is it's called the impromptu starting of a conversation. Mm-hmm. But what's equally as important is the exit strategy. How do you mm-hmm. exit and keeping it, you know, the, the one thing is you, you, as, as you say, these are your words, don't linger, but you know, you want to gracefully get out of it as well. And we're still only in one of the first chapters of your course load here, but I'm, <laughs> I'm just, it's, it's, it's rich in juice like this. So exiting is important, isn't it? You don't want to be that person that sort of hangs around and be respectful of the other person's time and be mindful that you entered their arena in a way if you are the one to approach. So it's important to to practice that exit strategy and just say, Barry, it was such a pleasure to meet you. And I'm, I'm thank you for being open to say you're eating or doing something for taking a short break to say, hello, I enjoy your blah, blah, blah. Hope to see you again soon. Boom. You should be the one to exit because you have been the one to enter into that space. Again, don't wear out your welcome. It's best for someone to say, oh, I remember her. She was impressive. She came up to me, but it didn't linger on. You know, and this leads perfectly into your next course I want to talk about. I, I, I call them courses. You even may call them something else. I, I'm calling them. No, no, they're them, called courses. They're they in are, LinkedIn okay. learning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, good. Because you talk about, and I didn't even comprehend this at first. That's what I'm saying. I learned something new. You talk about the difference between diplomacy and tact. Mm-hmm. And you say that tact is a self-awareness skill diplomacy is a mindset that involves the people around you. So I really want to delve into tact and diplomacy because that also is not something that you must naturally have. According to you, it is something that you can develop. It is a Mm -hmm. mindset that you can put yourself in. So first, let's get into diplomacy and tact a little bit. Yeah. And and that was a course that LinkedIn asked me to develop again in the workplace context, because there's a lot of need for that. And I would say even more now that we are so virtual. Let me add a dimension of 
cross-cultural communication. I haven't mentioned this. I come from Greece, Athens, Greece. In Greece, the Greek culture is very high context, meaning there's a lot of messages that come through with non-verbals, with, without the, the blah, blah, as we say, the wording, with, with knowing and, and for me, understanding what our power dynamic is. And for me, when I don't know you, I use plural to speak to you because I don't know you and I want to show that respect. Mm. So, because of that power distance that exists or hierarchical versus a status type of society, which the U.S. and many other Western world countries are, there's a, mind, that, a mindset of diplomacy of, uh, I would say, formality of uh, making sure that when you don't know someone, you don't make those assumptions of casualness. I catch our students quite often present to VPs of organizations and saying, so you guys may want to, and I'll go, stop, stop, stop. You guys, <laughs> we don't use those words. That is mindfully not uh, a, a smart, you can say you all, that you wouldn't use that if you want to be diplomatic and demonstrate that you are an, a, a new to the relationship. Tact has more to do with skill. Tact has more to do with knowing what the right thing is to do or to say or not to say, maybe sometimes knowing that picking up the phone may be better versus leaving a voicemail or sending an email or even just a text and saying something in a certain way, being polite. And if there are more people on this call as we are now, and then you ask me for something that I'm not going to do, I probably would be tactful and diplomatic by not saying no to you in front of your fans and your listeners, because that would not be respectful towards you. Does that make sense? It so does. it's being aware, but also saying the right thing. Well, and the key word that I found in, if, if not in every one of your course topics, and we're going to get, by the way, into the foreign, when you're in a, in a different land, we'll get it really mm -hmm. deep into that. But the key word that seems to play out in all of them is, and it's a word that, believe it or not, if you almost look at every subject, would actually benefit us all, empathy. And mm -hmm. that is the key word that you bring out. You say it is the most important. It is to to be not just understanding, but to really feel what that other person is going through. Because when you can do that, you talk about having an authentic connection. Mm -hmm. When you're empathetic to that person, then you are feeling them and you can't help but sort of get in on their same wavelength. Versus being sympathetic. I mean, if your listeners want to hear the, the person that describes this best is Brene Brown, instead of saying, but at least you didn't, this didn't happen. You're not too bad off. Our son recently has been very sick. I think I shared this with you uh, over the summer and he missed this high school graduation. He's deferring going to college and it's been a, a whirlwind and people are trying to be, I would say, um, empathetic, but I get a lot of this. He's going to be just fine. Don't you worry. I don't want to hear that. What I want to hear is this must be so stressful. I'm sorry that you're going through it. That's empathy. Sympathy is he'll be fine. Don't worry. He's strong. The good thing is that he's 
he's getting better or he nothing worse happened. So when you want to operate with empathy, it's really walking in the person's shoes and understanding their viewpoint and being patient enough to see that. I personally, I'm not always like that, but I try to keep that because maybe I'm moving too fast. Maybe I'm making assumptions, but I do try. And and back to tying this to diplomacy intact, it's really being self-aware of what the best thing is to do in a situation and walking in that person's shoes making the thought process of maybe Barry didn't mean that, or maybe I'm assuming, or let me walk, take his place, that would make me a better communicator. Well, this is kind of, <laughs> you, you've just given me a test now, because we talked for a, a moment, I think it was just an email exchange even. I don't know if we really had the conversation. I forget. <laughs> now, now I am, I, I don't, I literally... I want to find out how your son is doing, but I don't know if, so I'll just say it because I think if you understand, here's another thing. I, I find mm-hmm. that if a person is coming from the right spot, no matter where they're going is going to be okay to some extent. So sure, you, sure, you, sure. is your son okay? Is he He's going- better? Yeah. He had a very strange and very obs- crazy uh, Epstein-Barr virus event that that sort of led into many other things. And we're still not sure, and we're still uh, researching different things. It, it, it's something that teenagers sometimes go through, but it was very intense and it went, uh, it went along very quickly. I wrote one of my, one of my newsletters is called the five crisis communication tips from the ICU, because I sat in the intensive care unit where he was at first and observed the way that the physicians and nurses and all the staff communicated with us. It was an empathy masterclass, I would say, in a situation that was so unpredictable, scary at times, very foreign from a content standpoint, so, so empathetic. And in many, I wrote five things that they did so well, but empathy, it was a children's hospital. He's a pretty big boy. He's now 18. He was 17 in May, but he was um, admitted in the children's hospital. In a way, I was very glad because I guess the staff there was even more empathetic, but I have never seen people operate in such an incredible, maybe we should add that for your listeners and they can read it, but I learned a lot about crisis communication through uh, the staff. So thank you for asking you can imagine as a parent that it's very hard on a grandparent to see your children go through something this intense. And however, I still had many parents that would say, it's, don't worry, it's going to be fine. And I, I was frustrated because I would say, how do you know? I don't know. The physicians don't know. It's best if you just say, uh, is there anything I can do to help you? And I'm really sorry you're going through this. That would be enough. But the don't worry, it's going to be fine was not what I wanted to hear. You know, though, it, in my experience, at least, it is easier for us to be sympathetic than to be empathetic. Empathy mm-hmm. does take that mm-hmm. next level of, mm-hmm. uh, of sensitivity, of mm-hmm. intuition. It does take that other level. And it, it's, I, I know for myself that 
if I'm not trying, I'm going to be naturally much more sympathetic than I would be empathetic. Yeah. It's only through yeah. learning about these things that mm-hmm. I have been able to literally. And, and by the way, this is going to sound funny, I think, because no one ever thinks of training yourself to be empathetic. But in a certain sense, you almost have to if you are not naturally. Some people like my, my wife is a natural empath. She mm, just mm. really is. It's just the, the way of her, her life. I'm not. I, you know, and I guess it was growing up. I had to be tougher. I'm a New York City mm-hmm. guy. I played football. You know, you all those mm-hmm, other things. Mm-hmm, yeah. But but you can learn it as well. This is mm-hmm. what I found you make fascinating in your courses is that all the things we think we cannot learn, we really can learn. (laughs) And practice and learn and relearn. Back quickly to that point, I find that sympathy is often about the person that receives the information. If If you tell me some bad news, I may say, but at least you know, this happened at least I'm, I, in a way it's the inability to deal with difficulty or maybe our avoidance of, of conflict or, or something tough. So I say something to soothe myself and to help you feel better. But at times going back to discomfort, life is not all about soothing and, and making things okay. Sometimes it's tough and it's difficult to make things okay. We just have to sit with it for a while. And you're lucky to have your wife be a good uh, empath because you get good uh, role, role modeling, which is another part of to gain a skill. It's good to see someone do it well. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Nothing's better than in fact, way better to role model than to teach in in any other way. That's it's yeah. really yeah. A, yeah. a fact. But what's interesting, you just said those unexpected or difficult situations. Mm. One of the things that you want us to know is that when you bring back with this empathy comes the natural ability to be more diplomatic and tactful. You give us this very key line. I'm going to read it because it, I, I, if you don't mind, because I, I, I want to really get it exactly right. You say that your reputation becomes a part of your brand. So by doing this, you're sort of, well, your exact words, your brand or your reputation will enter the room before, before you, you do. do. And don't you agree? Don't you agree? Oh, not only that, uh, have you read Robert Greene's 48 Laws of Power? If yes. You, it's one of the best mm-hmm. books there mm-hmm. is. And one of the keys is for your brand or yourself to enter the room before you do. There's mm-hmm. nothing better than that. So, yes. Mm-hmm. And the way you do that, according to you, is by, again, having this persona that really is naturally empathetic naturally diplomatic, naturally tactful, even if you have to learn it all. <laughs> and, and and you catch yourself, because let's be real. I'm sure that if you ask my family who's in the house right now, they'd say, oh, she, no, she yells at us all the time, or we don't do something, you know, how we all act. It may be that we, we put our shoes on self is not like that all the time, but we have to catch ourselves. So naturally, try to practice doing this or know what our downfalls are. You know, if you don't get enough sleep or if you're not 
nourished enough, you tend to have a much shorter fuse. Let me give you an example on that reputation being part of your brand. Just today, we I have a, a fellow author instructor in LinkedIn who I saw in one of his posts injured himself. And I was scrolling through and saw a post that he had made and I sent him a private message. I said, hey, by the way, how's it going? I hope you're recovering well. He was so, I don't know, again, I had no agenda. He said, this was the nicest thing for you to do. I think I'm going to do a post about this, about how kindness is something that we lose in in the world of technology. And I thought, well, you didn't have to, I, I didn't have that intention that was not in my agenda. But again, I'm more outward focused. And I saw that. I thought if I was in his shoes, I would like to receive a message like the one I sent him saying, hang in there, you'll get stronger. I can already tell by your post or whatever I said. So it was it was a nice thing to do. And it was definitely, it probably will help my reputation, I would say, but that was not my intention. Well, that's, by the way, when it's not your intention is the only way it really does help your reputation. And, 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 And the key, I think, is when you use these words, Tatiana, you say, and this is, again, natural or learned, doesn't matter to me, apply a layer of politeness to every interaction, and you cannot go wrong. If you can apply a level of politeness, you're, by the way, you'll break every language barrier, you'll break every cultural barrier. Politeness Mm -hmm. is so universally, and by the way, sometimes you need, you you, will talk about later in, in different countries and things like that, but politeness is always recognized. Oh, yes. You do it. You have such a polite tone of voice, which I'm sure when someone cuts you off that when you're driving, that doesn't come out. But for the majority of the time, for the majority of the time, you interact with people and that's what your go to is. I guess, again, we practice towards that. And that has to be part of making that our, our standard. Some of it is cultural because we recognize sort of these laws of, of behavior that, and maybe it's, uh, it's something that comes from a cultural standpoint, or maybe that has to do with, with uh, interacting with others in, 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 in settings that are different. I'm not sure, but the la- being polite will get you very far. You've traveled where there's a huge line of people screaming at the airline professionals trying to make things happen on a flight that's delayed. And you show up to the counter and you say, thank you so much for the hard work. You just say something like this and you end up in business class. It's happened to me. And I don't do it to get in business class because I feel sorry for them being yelled at by others, but they appreciate that. I even saw this culturally when I was in Europe when I was a young man and I was in France. And at the time, they always said, you know, the French to the Americans, they're always hoity-toity if you don't do Mm -hmm. that. And all I did was with as polite as I could try to speak a little bit of the language just as basic as I could and be as polite and always merci and thank you Mm -hmm. and no matter Mm -hmm. what it was. And what very and what I bring this up because I left the restaurant with a couple of uh, other American guys and we just left and I'm about three blocks away and I hear a guy going, garçon, garçon, wait up, wait up. And I wait up. They brought me my jacket. I left it at the restaurant. Three so blocks here, down. 
three blocks and that. But I know it was obviously it was against all of the stereotypes. And because politeness, politeness breaks through that Mm -hmm. barrier. You know, an example of that is we many times I don't say as Americans, I should say as English speaking as a first language speakers assume that when we travel, everyone does speak English. So I was with a group of friends in in Budapest, Hungary, and they would always come to me and say, can you get us, ask about the ticket? We can't get them to speak to us. They won't help us. So I, I observed what was happening. And I observed my friends that would go up to a person who is Hungarian and say, can you tell me when the next train arrives? Straight up in English. And the person would go. Yeah. I said, okay, let me step in. I would go and say, hello, lots of nonverbals. Do you speak a, a little English, just a little English? I would even do that gesture as a little. And mostly is no, just little. Okay, train, a lot of hand gestures, time, question. The person ended up speaking a lot more English than they led on to speak. But I didn't assume that I was the dominant language that they should know when I walk up to them. I'm, I, this works in France beautifully, by the way. A little bit of, of the language from the, the country and a little bit of an assumption that you don't take it for granted, it will get you a long way. Again, diplomacy intact. Be in the mindset that you are the guest and be tactful in how you ask. Uh, it's it's a lesson that all of your students and all of us as humans mm. can just mm. learn and love. Now, let me get into something a little technical for a moment, because, mm-hmm. again, it was something I, I'm always fascinated by two things in particular, either something that I already know and then have someone brilliant like yourself reinforce it or something that I've never heard of and find fascinating and mm-hmm. two things that never entered Uh, my mind when it came to communication are two words that you used, encoding and decoding. Mm -hmm. And I said, what the heck is this? And of course, I learned about it through the lesson, but I think it's something very interesting. Mm -hmm. Would you Mm -hmm. just give us a a taste of it uh, a little bit, the difference between encoding and, and decoding and why that is also an important element that goes along with politeness and empathy and everything else, because It seems to have that same kind of role when it comes in involved in in impromptu communication. Well, we were just discussing empathy. And since we've had this conversation, I am sure that you will encode a conversation or a comment differently next time someone says to you this blah, blah, difficult thing happened to me because now you have that filter that has influenced or has, has come into your mindset. You in order to encode or to think, how will I deliver this? You have to think about the other person. You think of your audience. You think of timing. You think of all the things that could influence. Is this even the best time for me to deliver this message? And is this the right channel for me to deliver this message? Encoding has a lot to do with think of packaging. How will I put this in the best package so it can be received in the way that it can be understood like I want to make sure it's understood versus just throwing out the box and walking away? That's not even encoding. That's not coding at all. In the decoding part is you're the listener. When you receive, how do you process when you take on a message? Or if I say something to you and you respond, 
do I really listen to to make sure that you understood something the way that I wanted to for you to receive it? So it's this sort of coding is really because language and 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 all the nonverbals that go with it is a code. You have to write the code in the best way that your listener can receive it and understand it and, and take the value of it. But when you receive it and decode something, you have to keep all those other things in mind, such as assumptions and beliefs and your background and your loving wife who teaches you how to be empathetic and continue to process all of that. Does and that help? Yes, it helps. And, and, and it leads me to the next thing that you want us to be very aware of too. And that is that, and you mentioned it just now, the listening. We want, mm. you know, we're talking about conversation starting, but the key to making it work is how do you listen? And I know for so many years, and by the way, I always tell everyone, I don't make, you know, that I, I don't make the same mistake twice. I make it a thousand mm -hmm. times because it's the mm -hmm. nature of my mistake ability. And one of the things is when I'm listening, sometimes too often I get into my own head and everything that I'm hearing is being processed through my brain. And I'm not literally listening as well as I could. And if I did, I know I would be better in the communication area. So I want to get into that because listening, it's, it's almost much more harder to listen than to start the conversation. It's how sure. are you going to process it as it's coming into you? When do you tend to be a worse listener, do you think? I think, believe it or not, this is going to sound really strange. It's when I'm actually more interested in what I'm hearing. Now, I know this sounds funny because what I find is when I'm very interested in a movie or something that I'm watching, I involve myself in it. And when I involve myself in it, I almost get distracted thinking about how would I behave in this situation? How would I? So I almost have to catch myself. And I know it would naturally sound more like, well, that would happen when I was disinterested. But no, if I'm disinterested, I'll try to pay attention. Maybe I'll get somewhere. But it's when I'm very interested sometimes that I get distracted. Is that that's that to me even sounds strange. I have to level with it. No, in a way, because and and by me asking you this open ended question, I wanted to get some more data from you to figure out what is the best environment for you to listen in? First of all, self-awareness, understand that that is happening is a win because you know that if this happens and you're very interested, it's probably if we were in a cocktail party, you would turn. So you would look, if, if I was saying interesting things, you would turn. So you would look in the corner by facing me. So you wouldn't also get distracted by everyone walking around behind you because that's just all this information coming in. We had this conversation, Barry, and you did tell me that you get energy from the outside. The reason that you get excited, you want to comment, you want to connect the dots, you want to say, how would I process? You're an extrovert. You get energy from the outside world. So when the outside world gives you all these super juicy data points, you are processing them. Someone who gets energy from the inside is a lot more methodical and 
I would say, more paced in the way that they listen. They are the ones, if your wife is more empathetic, I'm guessing she is a good, patient listener. Oh, gosh. In a way. Uh, and yes. and yeah. we've talked about that yin and yang and the good relationship that you have because of some of that. It does go hand in hand. First, one thing to recognize is we can process so many more words than what we can speak. Maybe we can speak 150 is the average to 225 words per minute. I in Greek can speak a lot faster than I do in English. But my word, pro or I can hear more conversations going on at once. That's another distractor. Or I can process all of those words. And it's difficult. It's like a puppy in your head trying to, you're trying to train it to go in the right direction. So awareness is one and then skill building to find the right time, the right environment, the right circumstances for you to be a good listener and knowing when those are. I'm sure, I think I remember you telling me stories about doing back-to-back-to-back -to -back -to -back interviews and really having to be a thoughtful listener and a prepared interviewer. It must have taken you a lot of energy to do that, but you were aware that that's what you needed to do to stay disciplined. Right. Absolutely. Yes, there's no mm -hmm. doubt. And that's mm -hmm. and that's, again, what you teach your students and you teach mm -hmm. us when we go online is that we can build these into our personality. And that's what I think most people don't realize is we can literally I don't want to say change our personality because that's something that's you're kind of born with your quote unquote personality, but your behavior, how you behave with your personality you give a, a, a particular course, in fact, on this. And when it comes to, for instance, building resilience, mm -hmm. you talk about this. And because resilience is something that you think almost is innate. And, 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 and in fact, you separate it out. You, you say the more innate element is like tenacity. But mm -hmm. resilience is, is not necessarily innate. It's more of a skill that you can learn. And I think you even use the word grit. Grit is different than resilience. Mm -hmm, grit is mm -hmm. pushing through something. Pushing through. Resilience mm -hmm. is bouncing back. And I think mm -hmm. there's that great line on, I'm going to punch myself in the face because I forgot who said it, but it's famous and he's famous or she's famous. And it's always about, oh, I remember who it was. It was Patton. General mm -hmm. Patton said, mm -hmm. the truth to success is not how many times you fall down. It's how many, how many times, times you bounce you up. up. Yes. Mm -hmm. And and probably Socrates said it as well. We always know that. I once gave a quote from a friend named Gary and they said, wait a minute, that John Lennon said that. And then Socrates said, <laughs> all right, well, Gary told me. So uh, whoever <laughs> said it, but that's the truth. It re Resilience is so much more important than grit and tenacity because you're going to get knocked down and no matter how tough you are. So it is the bouncing back. That's the key. And you say sure. that's mm -hmm. one of those things we could really learn. Well, on the communication stuff, for sure, it's important to learn to be authentic and be yourself, but flex your style, as we say, be aware and code, understand where you're stepping into, who's involved, what you need to do, and you need to flex your style if you want to be influential, uh, empathetic, understanding, if you want to get anything done, if you're trying to close a deal or build some, some trust. 
all the time when you fail in some of these, when you fall and you stand back up is when you build your resilience. In a way, I would say grit and endurance are self-imposed. I choose to stay in many times in a bad or difficult situation, and I'm going to make it through. I'm going to just push through this and get stronger in the process. But many times with resilience, we get knocked down and we have to get up. We don't cause the knockdowns to ourselves, not quite often. We Life creates those situations. And there's research that shows that people who have been knocked down, especially at an early age and have been supported in the way that they are able to bounce back, become more resilient. And throughout history, many people that have been very successful have had a lot of hard, hard experiences. And that's that resilience. I call it a threshold, right? So we can, you only think I'm this resilient, but the more you go through life and you bounce back again, that threshold rises just like your cardiovascular endurance rises when you train it, when you get in that discomfort zone, back to what we talked about, you tend to become more um, fitter in a way. Well, you, and, and, and one of the things you, you really, I don't want to say demand of us, but you suggest to us is that in order to pull this off, you have to really not be afraid mm-hmm. of avoiding mistakes. Mm-hmm. If you begin to fear avoiding mistakes or get angry at yourself when you make a mistake, that's when it's going to end up really being a severe mistake. If you're, and, and this is what I think, of, and you use some of the athletic uh, athletes who are great at it. And I, I in fact, this, I don't know, have you seen Ted Lasso? It's a yes, wonderful it's a show. show. Uh-huh. And, and I'll tell you, he's got a thing where he says, be a goldfish, because mm-hmm. a goldfish can only remember something for 10 seconds. And yeah. all the great athletes, all the great entrepreneurs, or almost anyone that is successful in any field, whether it's being a great sanitation person, it doesn't matter. You have to be able to let it go bounce back up and not be afraid to take that shot. Mm-hmm. Take the shot. You may look, if you miss three out of 10, you're still going to make it in the hall of fame in baseball. You, tr- you so, tried. Yeah. Yeah. Remember yeah. back to the, back to the asking muscle or back to the trying things that you're not good at to, to, to create that growth mindset that we talked about earlier with, with uh, making mistakes or freezing when you're trying to approach someone and it doesn't go well it's an exercise in resilience. But I will tell you in March, I think of 2020 or April, I also wrote a newsletter and said, you know, we are at threshold. No more of this building and growing and pushing our threshold because this COVID situation has brought us to threshold. Let's be aware of that. And let's be mindful that we just take care of ourselves and that we take care of people around us as well, because these are tough times. So we've got, it's important to, to, to understand how this all depends on the circumstances and the situation. I, I have found in athletics, both of our children were both in athletics and competition is such a masterful teacher. It teaches you how to lose and be okay with it. 
Not many things teach you how to lose. If you in academics don't do well, maybe there's circumstances with grades and so on, and we try to be better. But athletics is such a good teacher in losing. They learn to be good sports with that. And, and you know, you give us one more thing. What you, a lot of this we're talking about is to prepare yourself prior to. One of the mm. things you want for us to do is to train That's our perfect. resilience after the event, after the mess up. Because, you know, that's going to no matter how resilient you are, no matter how trained you are, no matter how much you practice, no matter what you do, you still need to. How are you going to evaluate yourself? And it's so important that we do not punish ourselves. We Mm -hmm. and you say your words are we have to choose our attitude. We Mm -hmm. have to feel free to verbalize it if we want to. But you and I want to send this home to my audience so badly, you cannot let it define you. Those are your words. And I think they are so important for everyone. So true. So true. Something does go well because whatever worked, we want to try to replicate, even if it's how we made a deal of how we started a product or how we started a business. But especially when it doesn't go well, I always also advise take some time to reflect. A lot of the learning happens after you sit down and you say, what worked? What didn't? Then there are those times when you say, we must also take cathartic action. Action. Sometimes. Walk away. (laughs) Yeah. You gotta let it go. There's just nothing else. I I have, by the way, I'm blessed that I haven't experienced it that often. But when I did, I'm good at that. I can let it go and yeah. just say, well, I guess this is a podcast. I'm going to say it and then I may bleep myself out of it because I've never cursed on my own stuff. But fuck them if they can't take a joke. That was the I line know. we used. I know. And I, I just mean it. It's the truth. You can't help it. You're going to mess up. Let it yeah. go. Yeah, yeah. And that's challenging in our days because there's lots of sensitive topics. And when you encode, you may miss something and you offend someone. It's challenging. It's a challenging, I would say, field. And if you do it, you you have the experience, though. I would think that in your mind, you quickly could assess a situation and decide. But when in the course, I was writing most about business and relationships situations where you've tried your best and it didn't work and you have to walk away. It's, it's not worth it at times. I get a lot on LinkedIn. I get a lot of learners that will say, help me with this communication. And I see these situations where people are beating themselves up, trying to get their bosses to like them. And I'll just say, walk away. You're going to be healthier. This is not working. It's okay. Just let it go. There's a line that you had in, in one of your courses. I want to use it because I just think it's, it's again, so beautiful. You, and I think it's part of having this ability to let it go is when you're able, and these are your words, to identify your shoes off self. Mm-hmm. Because that's where, where it all begins, doesn't it? It begins with us, no matter with our individual thing. And unless we can identify our true self, almost none of this can really sink in. We have to do that 
it's imperative that we know who we are to the best of our ability. And it takes a long time to get there, <laughs> right? What? I mean, I'm not there yet, so I know it's taken over 50 years. Oh, well, for me as well. I mean, for me as well. It, it, it and, and you may know yourself, but you're not comfortable showing that. Or you may know yourself, or you may be in an environment where you think it's not okay to show that. And as you said, we sometimes have to let it go. And mm. when we can't, you use these words, you say, reach the next aid station. And I always use the term very similar. I say any port in the storm. Sometimes you just have to land it, stick that landing and just be grateful. There's a rock to hold on to. Just get to the next rest station. Yeah. And haven't we felt that in the last 16 months, whatever it may have been. We don't know if it's going to end, but we just, what's the next rest station where we can catch our breath, recuperate a little bit, re-energize a little bit, reevaluate a little bit, and then continue. And I'm not sure if there's if there's a formula to say, this is how you get through tough situations, or if you slip and fall, this is the formula to get away or out of it. It's just life teaches us to do it again, go back and practice, do it again, and get better in the process. Well, Tatiana, our our time is just about up, and I I know that I gained so much out of this. I I'm going to use one of the little quotes you have in your lesson. You say conversation starters, they're challenging, but the benefits far outweigh the time and energy invested in this social skill. And I cannot thank you enough for sharing your knowledge and wisdom with myself, with my listeners, and with whoever pops on and hears your beautiful words. Thank you so much, Tatiana. Barry, thank you. You're a lifelong learner, and it's very evident. Thank you for combing through all of the content that I shared with you and making it so interesting in the way that we engaged. And you're right. This is one of the best conversations. Now I want to look you up when I come to LA so we can have a coffee or continue our conversations. Thank you. My pleasure, and I look forward to it. <laughs>